And the Lord said to me, Go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. He answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen. Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest. Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he had said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks.
following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Welcome to Acts, our verse-by-verse -verse journey, uh, studying the continuation of the ministry that Jesus began through his church. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and it's a 28-chapter book full of interesting stories on how the church began from Christ's ascension to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the conversion of Paul, Saul, now Paul, and his journey of ministry. In today's story, Paul's uh, in the midst of a transition where the Lord comes and visits him and encourages him. His ministry is never going to be the same up to this point. As a believer, he's been able to plant churches and travel and enjoy fresh air, and now he's going to be a prisoner pretty much for a large part of the rest of his life. But in that setting, there's going to be opportunities to minister. Sometimes what you think is a demotion is actually a promotion. He gains access to things. He's protected from things. Here he probably would have been killed, but uh, the Romans protected him. In our story, he had gone to, to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And while there, he was falsely accused of um, bringing Gentiles into the holy places in the temple, which wasn't true. He had brought Gentiles into the city, but not into the holy places. And in his defense, as the Romans are rescuing him, he asked them just before they take him into the barracks at the top of some steps, hey, can I speak to them? And so he spoke to them in their language in Hebrew and gave his testimony. And we got to the point mentioning Gentile, that's when pandemonium broke out again and the Romans had to rescue him again. So here we are in verse 21 of Acts 22. He's telling what the Lord told him in the very temple itself while he was praying, the Lord visited him and told him, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. They listened to him until this word. The word Gentiles just lit, lit up the moth that wanted to kill him. And they raised their voices and said, away with such a person from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, wow, they threw dust in the air, probably because they didn't have rocks to throw at him. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging that he might know why they shouted so against him. He was speaking in Hebrew. Romans don't necessarily know Hebrew. And he wanted to get to the bottom of this. His job as Roman commander of the region was to keep the peace. So what's the reason for the uproar? You're going to tell me, boy, and I'm going to torture you until you do. Scourging was kind of beating that Christ took. It was inhumane, a whip with multiple pieces of bone and metal, and some people died during such a thing, and so Paul was going to be tortured. And so he used his legal defense of being a Roman soldier. Verse 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned or unconvicted? I haven't had a trial, and you're punishing me. When the centurion heard, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained my Roman citizenship. Paul said, But I was born a citizen. So he one-upped him. He trumped him. 
Verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him, about to get a confession out of him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, now he's going to try a different tactic. He released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their councils, all the religious leaders, to come and appear. And brought Paul down and set him before them. So this isn't in the temple. This is in Roman territory. And he's going to get to the bottom of it. Torture is not, not an uh, a option because he's a Roman. So let's see what the authorities say. So Paul looks at the council and again begins to share his testimony. Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Verse 2. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him upon the mouth. Slap him! Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? The law said in Leviticus 19.15, when you make judgments, you better make them righteously. So here again, Paul is using legal defense for defending themselves. In calling him a whitewashed wall, he was alluding to the fact of the high priest hypocrisy. This particular high priest used to steal the tithe, used to rob his fellow priest, was a corrupt dude. And uh, he's it's also uh, referring to a prophecy in Ezekiel 13, where God calls, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, calls certain prophets that are pronouncing good things when judgment is on the way. He compares them to a wall built with stones and untempered mortar. The ingredients of cement that's good has some ingredients in it that can be used to make whitewash. In other words, you're like a wall made, put together with stones and paint. It's not going to hold up, right? Uh, we used to live in Irving where the soil in a big part of Irving is a mixture of sand and clay. So it's shifting ground. And so it's not uncommon for houses there to have foundation problems. And so if you're buying a house and it's a brick house that's been painted, you'd better do some serious investigation because they may be hiding some things with paint that are there. So to this day, I'm resistant. If that wants to paint our brick house, I'm resistant. No, yes, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. Going to make buyers suspicious. Going to devalue our home. That's for another day. <laughs> so back to the story. Those who stood by, verse 5, said, Do you revile God's high priest? Even though, even though this guy was a hypocrite, he did have a position of authority that was to be respected. Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. He'd not been updated. He'd been gone for a while. For it is written, and he quotes Exodus 22, 28, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Even if authorities are corrupt, we must be careful what we say about them. We have to. I won't bring up politics. Let's move on. <laughs> but when Paul perceived, verse 6, that one part were Sadducees, 
and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Which is true. It's all, of, all this surrounds the resurrection of Jesus. So he gets them fighting. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Now, the Pharisees were like the conservatives, and the Sadducees were like the liberals. And the Sadducees, because of their liberal mentality, had more favor with the Romans. So they had higher positions of authority, and they were the most corrupt. The Pharisees were people that strained at gnats and swallowed camels, but they did believe the Old Testament. They did believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees focused on the Torah alone, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which had their early history as a nation and the laws that Moses gave. No mention, no promise is in the Torah of the resurrection. Not there. That's why Jesus' ministry was so unusual. He came declaring resurrection. He came declaring eternal life where no such promise was made in the Torah. So this is why he infuriated the Sadducees so much. And they tried to set him up with trick, tried to trick him into finding certain uh, contradictions in resurrection theology. Like if someone dies and leaves his wife a widow and she marries somebody else and that husband dies and she marries somebody else and she's been a widow three or four times but she goes to heaven in the resurrection, which of the four men are going to be your husband? Well, resurrection theology teaches in heaven there's no marriage. We're all single again. So for some that might seem sad. For others it might be like, hallelujah. <laughs> Will heaven be a hell for you because your spouse is going to be married to you? It's a different dimension of living. Marriage no longer has the purpose there that it has here. So marriage is an earthly experience, and it is till death you part. That's the issue of the covenant. And so the Sadducees, they were sad, you see. That'll help you remember. Why were they sad? They didn't believe there was life after death. The Pharisees were otherwise. So there immediately was a division. Paul, again, is using law to help bring about freedom for himself. He's not being self-serving. He's declaring truth. Verse uh, 9, then there arose a loud outcry. Now they break out in pandemonium, which shows they're all lawless. The scribes of the Pharisees party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. You know, he may be mistaken about Jesus, but maybe an angel has been telling him stuff. Verse 10, now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Now what's he going to do? His plan, you know, option number two didn't work so well either. But the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Paul's ministry is never going to be the same. He's now going to have access into places he never had before. And he's now going to have protection that he never had before. And so his guards wind up being his security force. 
Isn't that cool? His incarceration wound up being times where he could write scripture. So we're blessed. Through his suffering, gospel was advanced. I'd like to look at verse 11 again. The night following all this commotion, the Lord stands by Paul. Now he's imprisoned in the barracks and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you will testify of me in Rome. So the rest of the book is how he made it to Rome, the journey to Rome. Be of good cheer is what the Lord said. Now this phrase was said by Jesus six other times, a total of seven times in the New Testament. And it's only in the New Testament eight times. And the eight, uh, one of the eight times, seven of them were Jesus, and one of them is a crowd comforting a blind man who's about to get healed. Be of good cheer. This is... Um, in the World English Bible, translated as cheer up. The Basic Bible, be of good heart. The WNT, be of good courage. Uh, the uh, Complete English Bible, be encouraged. The Christian Standard Bible, have courage. Take courage, the NIV, which we saw in the video. Uh, the New Revised Standard, keep up your courage. The God's Word translation, don't lose your courage. The New Century Version, be brave. The Good News Translation, don't be afraid. The Dewey Rhymes Translation, be constant. And the WYC translates it as, be thou steadfast. This is a Greek word, tharseo. Uh, Can we say that, tharseo? It's a word that means to have courage. Jesus said it seven times, and it's only in the New Testament one other time, and we'll see that in a minute where that was used. It means to have courage, to be of good cheer, to be comforted, to be brave, to not be discouraged. And the Message Bible uh, translate, translates it as, or paraphrases it as, everything's going to be all right, basically. It's related alphabetically between two other Greek words related to them. The word tharsos, Paul used this, means courage. And thoreo, he also used it meaning to exercise courage, to be bold, to be confident. So I'd like to speak to you today on this subject. Be of good cheer. Tell, tell somebody that. We have reasons why we can be encouraged, why we can be of good cheer. So we're going to look at these seven instances that Jesus used of this word and then some other instances of the crowd and then... Paul in a couple places using the other two Greek words. Why we can be encouraged. Number one reason, our sins have been forgiven. The reason for us to be separated from God has been remedied. We've been redeemed in spite of what happens, in spite of who disappoints us. Our sins have been forgiven. There's a group of men that brought a paralytic to Jesus and Jesus' first words to him were, son, be of good cheer. Son, huios, tharseos. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say, be of good cheer, you're about to walk. Which was true. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Being a paralytic, you have a lot of time to think. So no doubt this guy had a lot of time to think about his sins, his guilt. Which is discouraging. It's not discouraging enough to be a paralytic, but discouraging to have 
guilt on you all the time. I feel like there may be some people in the room today that are discouraged by guilt. Be in good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you can stop punishing yourself. We can be encouraged because our faith is going to be effective. There was a woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9 that approached Jesus, touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Christ turned to her and said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Be of good cheer. Your faith, what you've been wanting, your desire, has been fulfilled. She suffered many things of many physicians. Who's ever suffered at the hands of misdiagnoses? We have. Well, in that day, you can imagine it's unreal what doctors tried to do. But cheer up your faith in being fulfilled. What you're hoping for is becoming reality. Faith is the substance of things not seen. The evidence of things that are invisible. And yet, it's become visible in her heart. So because our faith is effective, it's going to pay off. We may not know how redemption is going to come, but we know our Redeemer lives. Amen? Amen. Our faith shall become seen. We can be encouraged because our Lord is near us always. He told some scared men in a boat as he walked to them on the water, he said, be of good cheer, Tharsail, be of good cheer. It is I, I am, do not be afraid. Because he is, we are. Amen? We love by you, Lord. It's who I am. Because he is the I am. We can be encouraged because our vision is going to be clearer. This is where the crowd used this word. A blind man was calling out for help to the Lord and they told him, be of good cheer, Tharsail, rise, he's calling you. Things are fixing to change. Maybe you've been a little confused about the issues of life. Cheer up. Better days are coming. It's going to work out. You're going to see things from a different perspective. Sometimes the way we see things determines our enjoyment of those things or our being made miserable by those things. Our perspective is so important. And obviously if we're blind, that perspective needs some serious work, right? There's the pessimist and the optimist, two cowboys that went to see the, the uh, Grand Canyon. And the optimist saw that and said, man, what a beautiful creation of God. What an awesome place for a ranch. The pessimistic cowboy looked at the Grand Canyon and said, what a horrible place to lose a cow. <laughs> Same canyon, different perspective. Our victory is ultimately assured. Ultimately, you're going to win. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Be of good cheer. Tharsail. Why? I have overcome the world. The one who leads us, the one who feeds us, the one who inspires us has already won the victory. Death is already under his feet. One day it's going to be under our feet. And we can be encouraged because our purpose is now a greater purpose. Your demotion actually can become a promotion in his hand. Maybe you'll start a business. 
Maybe your home is infested with pests and the remedy you're gonna find with those pests is going to be a business, pest control. It all can work out. Here's where the Lord said it the seventh time he used the word in the New Testament. Take courage, have you testified about me in Jerusalem? So you must also testify in Rome. There's a higher purpose for you. So be encouraged, be encouraged. You ever been fired and it turned out to be a good thing? Can be. We can be encouraged because we have encouraging friends. Who has encouraging friends? Who's an encouraging friend? Man would have friends, he would be friendly. Who wants to be a discouraging friend? Stop it! In the last chapter of this book, Paul had some friends visit him. Now he's under house arrest in Rome teaching people daily, writing scripture, and these people come to visit him, they're friends. He thanked God and took courage. Yes, he was encouraged by friends. Encouraging friends are good, but it must be friends that encourage you in the right way. That's right. If your life's heading down the wrong way, having an encouraging friend, you know, go get him, tigers, go for it. Follow your heart and you're going the wrong way. That's not being a good thing. There's sometimes friends have to say, hey, hold on. Let me encourage you. What we're talking about today is encouragement to do the right thing. Watch this video. It is amazing what a little encouragement can do for a person. Encouraging someone can make their day and remind them that they are not alone in their struggles. That is why it is important for us to encourage others. For instance, whenever I see someone working really hard on something and not making much progress, I make a point to go over to them and encourage them to quit. Because sometimes it just takes that extra bit of encouragement to make someone realize that anything that's hard isn't worth doing. If someone you know is having a hard time with their marriage or their job or anything, give them the encouragement they need. To quit. These have been deep thoughts from a shallow Christian. Who's heard of the Quitters Club? Out east, someone got an idea of starting a Quitters Club. And they had a, an online way to sign up. In just a few hours, 35 people signed up to attend the first meeting. And when the first meeting actually happened a few days later, it was even more people than that. But part of the promotion was that of the Quitters Club is, is, are you tired of having vision and passion for things that don't work out? Is your initiative tormenting you? Come to this meeting and we'll help each other stamp out the fires of our goals. You know, just, just embrace mediocrity, that way you won't, you won't be disappointed, you know. Don't have any hope, that way you won't, you know, suffer with depression. At the meeting, even though a bunch of people showed up, the reverse happened. The format was you were going to share your initiative and your disappointment, and then people were going to help you quit. But the reverse happened. One lady shared, I've been trying to be an actress, and this is all the hard work I've done. And this desire is just tormenting me. It's keeping, it, keeping me up at night. I need to let it go. I need you guys to help me. 
stop it out. And somebody said, you know, I don't think you need to quit. I think you need to give it another year. And the other person said, I think you need to tweak this and tweak that. They wound up, the Quitters Club wound up becoming an encouragers club. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Obviously, people drawn to that, people that are tormented by their goals are people that have initiative in their life. The, the, the true Quitters Club, they wouldn't even show. They would quit before they even got to the meeting. So if you're discouraged, find someone to encourage you to do the right thing. And if you're discouraging, stop it. Quit. Quit that. Quit the right thing, but don't quit. Quit the wrong thing. See, you're interested. You're, 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 we can be encouraged because our future is better than our present. We're living in the now, looking forward between the now and the not yet, between the past and that which is <coughs> And this third word related to Tharseo, Paul used in 2 Corinthians 5, when he said, therefore, being always of good courage, somebody said always. always, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, while we're living in our physical bodies, we are absent from the Lord. We're not in heaven yet. Some people think they're there. They're not there yet. They're just heads in the clouds, maybe. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage. There it is again. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So living between the now and the not yet, the not yet is better than the now. So we have a brighter day ahead to look forward to, and that in itself can be encouraging. Tell someone, be encouraged, better days are ahead. You're going to heaven and your problems are not. In fact, all our problems are temporary, did you know that? But our solution is eternal. But between now and then, we have a mission. Maybe our mission to Jerusalem turned into great disappointment, but had he not gone to Jerusalem, he may not have gone to Rome. Two or three times, I'd love for Joe to preach it again. He preaches a sermon, Joe Duncan does, entitled, Sometimes the Road to Oklahoma Goes Through Mexico. Or is it the reverse? Sometimes the road to Mexico goes through Oklahoma. Sometimes the road to Rome goes through Jerusalem. So God's delays are not denials. God's detours are not anything other than things he's using. Your setback can be your set up. Yes. Let's pray as the praise team comes forward. Well, we thank you for encouragement that comes from your word and encouragement that comes from your presence. And Lord, as we worship you some more, I pray, Lord, those who are discouraged would enter in your presence in praise that they would cast their cares upon you and that they would be encouraged by the worship Lord. Oh, I seek you.